We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show brought to you by Indochino, Roman, and Harry's. I'm Blair Andrews on Twitter at Am I the Real Blair, and my co-host is Hassan Rahim on Twitter at HRR5010. Hassan, how's it going? It's going fantastic, Blair. Uh, you know how it does. There was football play today, and uh, it was another wild, wild day. And uh, here we are with uh, Kyle Rudolph catching his uh, second uh, touchdown of the night, uh, two receptions. Two yards, two touchdowns, <laughs> a.k.a. the best receiving line for a tight end. Yeah, that's the kind of week it's going to be, I guess. Uh, well, I'm excited to discuss some of the news and especially excited to discuss it with our guest today. Joining us on the show is Michael Dubner. Michael is a featured writer at Rotoviz and places his emphasis on DFS and the draft best ball leagues. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael underscore Dubner. Michael, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Yeah, what's go- what's going on, guys? It's good to be, to be back on the road of his report again. However, I can't believe we're about to rehash this week ten as it went so 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 bad for my DFS teams this week. Uh, well, uh, hopefully we can start off on a positive note with our first news item: Christian Kirk caught six of ten targets for 138 yards and three touchdowns in the Cardinals' week ten loss to the Bucks. So Michael Kirk broke out in a big way today, posting his first 100-yard game since Week 2, and it was also the first time all season that he scored a touchdown. So what are your expectations for Kirk going forward? Yeah, I mean, myself, along with pretty much everyone at Rotoviz, I think was uh, higher than the market on Kirk this offseason. So I don't think it'll come as a, as a surprise that I'm optimistic about Kirk the rest of the season. Um, Kirk was actually one of the few things that went well for me today on FanDuel, as I had him in cash and also 40% of my GPP lineups this week. Um, however, 
Um, I know a lot of the people in the industry has really talked about how DFS has gotten a lot sharper over the past um, few years, especially this year. And I think that Kirk being 65% owned in cash and 30% owned in GPPs really exemplifies that. But yeah, anyway, about Kirk for the rest of the season, he's seen eight targets in five of seven games now. So I think that we can really project him for a weekly median expectation of about five receptions for six yards, which I think is really encouraging. Um, but he doesn't really profile as a touchdown scorer. So I wouldn't be like, I would be open to trading him high if someone wants to buy him. However, I do think uh, Kirk is more of like, uh, wide receiver two, three moving forward. Um, so I'd be very happy starting him. Yeah, that's actually a good point because you are the uh, second guest who's made that exact same observation. The other one was uh, Tyler Lechner, uh, uh, Lochner a few weeks ago. Um, and, and you know, just to, just to bring that home, we've got Arizona who are going to be entering a pretty rough stretch here going forward. They've got San Francisco next week, then a bye. And then they got, you know, the Rams, Pittsburgh and uh cleveland and seattle none of these are easy games by any stretch especially you know san fran and then followed by the rams at pittsburgh especially pittsburgh because they've come on uh pretty strong um out of curiosity are there any trades that you'd be looking to to finagle trying to sell sell kirk high here mm. i mean no one really comes to mind specifically i think it's always hard to do you know these one for one deals so it'd be more of a package deal maybe a two for two or something where you try to sell kirk um I mean, he is like he's only 53rd in the league in air yard. So, yes, I'm definitely willing to trade him. But again, he's not someone I'm actively trying to trade away. And I would be very fine uh, keeping him. Yeah. One of the other things that really I wanted to talk about is uh, a little bit about in this game was ever since they acquired Kenyon Drake. Um, I mean, not ever since because it was just fairly recent. But today was a pretty stark, uh, you know, Split between Drake and David Johnson. Drake saw, you know, 10 carries. Uh, he rushed for 35 yards. Uh, David Johnson only had five carries. He rushed for two. And then there's also a pretty big split in the receiving game. Uh, David Johnson had the one target, one one reception for eight yards, whereas um, Drake had seven targets. He got six for, you know, for oh, he got all six for six yards. Uh, do you think this is more like, um, you know, just residual David Johnson just not being healthy anymore or is this more of a longer term you know kind of an issue because um uh you know david johnson is kind of underperforming his his expectations his preseason expectation i guess yeah i mean i i definitely think that the injury probably you know it, it has something to do with it but i do think that this is really concerning because we did have that original red flag of the cardinals actually trading for another running back um and now we have actually have real evidence that there will be a backfield split moving forward. And this is even before Chase Edmonds returns. Um, I think David Johnson was not effective as a runner earlier, but I thought that we could maybe at least bank on his uh, pass catching ability as a, as a receiving floor because he was eighth in targets. But now that Kenyon Drake is seeing seven targets in this game, even with David Johnson active, I do think that is a concern for him moving forward. Um, and I don't really know if we can trust J David Johnson until we really see it from him again. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we've seen, uh, I guess this is now the second week in a row that he's been active, but has actually, you know, basically should have been on the injury report or something, uh, something we should have known about. So we know that Kingsbury's not real, um, revealing with that stuff it seems um assuming that johnson is not playing at 100 percent and he's dealing with some kind of injury uh do you think i guess how this situation unfolding how does it make you value him uh more long term like for dynasty or for redraft next season man i mean I don't play much Dynasty, so I'm probably not the best person to ask for that, but obviously I can still think about his value long-term. Um, I would still be... Do you guys know um, Drake's uh, contract by any chance? Because I assume that he won't be there next year. In that case, I would still be excited about Johnson moving forward, especially as um, Kyler Murray continues to grow. So this offense could become 
more explosive in years to come. So I would still definitely have interest in, in Johnson moving forward um, after this season. Yeah, I, I believe uh, Drake will be a free agent after the season. I think they traded a fairly late round draft pick for him, and I, and I don't know if they have any real designs to um, to extend him. I mean, maybe if they extend him, then it's a bit of an issue. I mean, I'm looking over David Johnson's game log here in the NFL Stat Explorer, and the last time he really sort of uh, lived up to expectations here was back in week six against Atlanta, it seems, where he scored 28.2 PPR points, and he was, like, the third ranked RB out. Like, he's been... I mean, he's, it seems like he's just dealing with a handful of injuries, and I wonder if, like... A, I wonder if he's ever going to be the same guy this season. I mean, even though Arizona has your buy in a couple of weeks. Um, again, I don't know how you can reliably start David Johnson next week against San Francisco, and now that I've said that, he's just going to go absolutely ham. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 I'm just gonna try to be overweight in GPPs, but um, I mean you know his troubles really seem to have quote unquote started in, in that Giants game where he had the one carry, then he just exited. Um, and I think next season again, if like you said, if they don't really draft another running back or they don't really bring in someone you know in, in free agency and it's still just David Johnson and Chase Edmonds, I can I personally see his value remaining fairly high when best ball leagues uh, open up and should remain, you know, maybe not as high as like the 105 as it was this offseason, but still at that one-two turn, I think is where it's going to settle in. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the the top running backs right now, just like shooting from the hip right now. He's probably at least a top 10 back next year um, if Drake does walk. Yeah, well, the reason I ask is, I mean, we've seen him now have basically two down years after missing almost a whole season with injury. He's going to be turning 28 in December. Um, you know, it's possible he's just not the same running back he was in like 2016. So I'm wondering, uh, I guess, if there's enough risk there that you guys would think about avoiding him next season or something like that. Uh, no, I don't I don't really see myself avoiding him as much. I, I wonder if it's just a full off season. Would do Maybe. him some good, yeah. Maybe, but that's—I mean, it's that's difficult to speculate. Sitting here, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's dealing with back issues and a whole bunch of other items, so uh, you never know. And also depends on how ADP shakes out, right? Right. Well, that's the thing. I'm thinking if he <laughs> is going to be a first-round pick next year. I mean, after the seasons he's had. Uh, you know, I might be avoiding him at that price. So I'm wondering how how low he'd have to go in drafts next season for me to think he was a good pick. I've probably been burned by him too, you know, two years in a row I've taken him I've taken him ahead of ADP and <laughs> it hasn't worked out. So I might be a little bit uh a little bit bitter. Brian Hill rushed 20 times for 61 yards in the Falcons' week 10 win over the Saints, and he added one reception for 10 additional yards and a touchdown. Uh, Michael, Devonta Freeman, uh, he was running fairly well, but for the four strikes of the game due to a foot injury early in the third quarter, uh, do you think the Falcons make Hill their locked-in three-down Balcao in the event that uh, Freeman you know, is missing some time? And what are your expectations for, the, for Hill the rest of the season if, that, if that's what goes on? Yeah, I think I saw Freeman's injury was an ankle injury. Um, but I don't really know how serious it is. So I guess this question, though, is going under the assumption that Freeman does miss time. And in that case, I guess we, we do have to be excited about Brian Hill for zero running back teams. Because, I mean, at this point, we, we have to admit that our Justice Hill, Darwin Thompson, Darrell Henderson teams, they're all they're all dead. So Brian Hill um, would be a uh, priority waiver wave wire ad, um, assuming Freeman does miss time. I saw he did have 20 carries and two targets, and while this was, you know, the ideal game script being ahead the entire game, the only other running back to record a carry besides him was uh, Kenyon Barner, um, and he had just one touch. So I, I, I do see the Falcons go on the road to Carolina next week, which isn't the best spot, but, I mean, you can't really be too greedy if you're uh, running back desperate. And this, uh, let's not forget that this would be, so perfect him going on Davis Mad Maddox podcast and then becoming fantasy irrelevant would be, uh, <laughs> would be, uh, would be great. Yeah. Friend of the show, David, Ma Davis Maddox, shout out to him. Um, also when he, when we had him on, we recorded a show titled Damon Williams is actually good. And, uh, Damon Williams did pretty well today. So, uh, here's, here's to hoping that, uh, that our, our preseason take, uh, 
comes through because, uh, man, I bought in on Damien, Damien pretty nicely after that. We had a lot of uh, a lot of shows pumping up Brian Hill too, so it's good to see him getting this work, even uh, if it did have to come at at Freeman's expense. I mean, one thing I was encouraged about was actually the two targets he got in this game, especially the one he ended up uh, catching for a touchdown. So it was good to see them use him in that phase of the game and for him to be pretty effective doing that. So that's something that I'm hoping we'll see more of if he does end up being at least a fill-in lead back for this team. Yeah, I mean, look, on the other hand, if there's someone who they need to like actually fill in carries, it should be Calvin Ridley. He had one carry for 19 yards, and he saw five targets the same <laughs> number as as Russell Gage. Uh, what is going on here? I mean, like I, I bought in pretty pretty nicely on, on on Calvin Ridley, especially considering you know we expected him to take a step forward. Michael, what's going on here with the target share in Atlanta? Like, why is Christian Blake? Well, first, what is Christian Blake? Who is he, and why is he getting two targets? And what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I can confidently say I never heard of Christian Blake until you just says had it said his name. I didn't know who Russell Gage was until a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, it seems like this target share is just pretty distributed and they're willing to work in a couple of guys. I definitely did buy into the Ridley hype, uh, from Rotoviz this off season. Um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to really reliably project Ridley for more than six targets in any game, I guess at this point. So you kind of just have to hope that they're in shootouts moving forward. Yeah, it's weird. Ridley... I mean, we. I think part of the problem is we expected like a huge secondary breakout from him, but uh, we're not seeing it. I mean, in terms of like per game, he's actually been a little bit better than last year. So um, he's improved, but just not as much as we were all hoping. So I wonder if it's sort of, you know, like if you're starting Calvin Ridley and he gets you, you know, 10, 11, 14 points, I mean, that's okay. That doesn't kill you, but um, yeah, I don't know. He's tough. I think you still have to keep him in your lineup uh, because we know he can sometimes have these blow-up games, although he hasn't really had one this year. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think, maybe sort of reframing our expectations, and it's partly disappointment just based on, on the expectations we had coming in. Um, Really, the the one thing that's been fascinating is just how frequently they target Austin Hooper. Mm. Um, I think that that's been. I mean, again, it's not, not not to say that Austin Hooper isn't good. He he absolutely is good. But they're like almost funneling. Earlier, they were like kind of funneling the offense through him. You know, he's 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 pretty much a wide receiver level target share, and he routinely went in like the late eighth, early ninth round. Um, he and I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he it might be the PPR wide receiver one on the season. I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those like when you're you really and you've got Julio who takes up a bunch of targets. What's interesting is that they are with Dirk Cutter back in town, back to throwing to the running backs with the thing that they didn't do over the last what two seasons when uh, uh, after Shani left. So that's mm-hmm. one of the, I mean, you're losing, like, I mean, like that, like Freeman had eight targets last week, I believe, and he had four today before exiting. So it was just one of those, it was just not done with, uh, uh, with their previous OC, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Apologies for that, but, um, Sarkeesian. uh, with this Sarkeesian, thank you. Yeah. So I, I think that that's really where the one of one of like, that was one of the items that I don't think we really accounted for enough was, was the little bit of Austin Hooper, but also the fact that they're going to slough off a chunk of, of receiving of receiving work to the running backs again. Right. Also, I'm looking at his uh, red zone target share. It's only 7%. He's only seen four red zone opportunities this year. So that definitely uh, hurts his touchdown expectation with uh, Hooper and Jones and the running backs all seeing more red zone work than he is. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years and the secret to a great shave, it hasn't changed much. You don't need to overpay for razors that include flex balls and heated handles. Um, that's why I shop with Harry's razors. They don't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to the razors that focus on what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. 
uh, Harry's is a return to the essential uh, quality. Durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. And best of all, it's super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door and on your schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a, few, a full refund. Personally, I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave with an easy glide at a low price. And uh, listeners of the show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Talking about erectile dysfunction, well, it, it isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, uh, saying things like, oh, I lost my mojo. You know, we avoid it altogether with excuses like, well, I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple safe and it's best of all it's totally discreet uh with roman you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ed all from the comfort and privacy of your home the, the doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if uh, medication is appropriate roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping the whole process is straightforward it's simple and it's discreet getting started is it's really easy just go to roman.com slash blue wire and complete an online visit uh, you know, erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, and now there's Roman. So, you know, if you complete an online visit today and connect with a doctor, you can take care of it. So just go to roman.com slash bluewire and get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash bluewire. Now let's get into no shit shit now. All right, first item. Eric Ebron caught five of 12 targets for 56 yards in the Colts' Week 10 loss to the Dolphins. Uh, I'm going to go with shit no on this one. The Colts had elevated passing volume since they were losing the entire game, despite playing the Dolphins. Um, I'd imagine when Brissett returns, Ebron's volume will also fall back closer to his poor targets per game average. Um, and then when T.Y. Hilton also returns, that, that'll only hurt his opportunity share. O.J. Howard got four, four of seven targets for 47 yards and a touchdown in the Bucks' weekend win over the Cards. Um, maybe, I, maybe I was just burned by him and his early ADP earlier this offseason, but I can't really trust OJ Howard until I see him do it again in a non-flow chart matchup. Um, if you're in need of a tight end, I would, I would be fine uh, picking up OJ Howard off the waiver wire. Um, however, I try to not start him again for at least another week. But if he does see another six-plus targets in the game, then I'd, I'd definitely be open to starting Howard considering how bad the tight end landscape is. Um, so it was encouraging to see him uh, get the targets in this concentrated target share. Um, but I need to see it again before I even consider starting him. Yeah, can we talk about somebody who out-targeted O.J. Howard today, actually, and that was Ronald Jones. I mean, is he the overall running back one rest of the season? <laughs> I, I'm sure Pete Overzet and Pat Crane right now are still celebrating right now after that that, that huge win. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm kind of heartened. What really was frustrating was watching Jones lose some of that red zone work to to Barber um, and some of the receiving work yet again to Dari Ogunbowale. But, I mean, come on. Eight targets, eight catches, 77 yards. Maybe he could have used a touchdown, but whatever. And people said he couldn't catch coming out of college. I, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a wild one. Um Tariq Cohen compiled 14 yards and three carries along with four catches for 23 yards and a touchdown as a receiver Sunday in the Bears' weekend win over the Lions. This is shit no for me. I can't really imagine starting Tariq Cohen in any fantasy format. I don't think he's topped 50 yards in any game this season. Um, however, I guess this is a, a better time for us to at least discuss David Montgomery, who was chalk at 70% in FanDuel cash and 40% in GPPs this weekend. Um, I fortunately did not have him in cash, but what that meant was I played Saquon and Jalen Samuels, who both managed to score below Montgomery. So <laughs> so that wasn't great, um, but at least I didn't play Montgomery. Yeah, good job on avoiding. Uh, I mean, well, I guess I played Montgomery in cash, and man, oh man, was I tilting. I mean, I'm still tilting. I And then... Like the Chicago offense was really bad the first half. I think they had 33 yards the entire first half. 
And then I don't know what's going on there. And we've already talked a little bit about this, but um, everyone is tilting in that, like, like in the Chicago organization. And I, I don't think, I don't, I don't know what's going on last, like whatever role they've had. And we, we talked about this again, but, but, but Tyler Lochner, they've just decided to marginalize Tariq Cohen receiver. They've decided that the best way to use him is once in a while, run him up the gut. Your smallest guy just to run him up the gut. That's that's just being a true visionary uh, we got here uh, in our hands with, with, with Matt Nagy. And again, it doesn't help that Mr. Bisky isn't doing well, but he's just not doing the things that he did last year at all. So uh, it's 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 good to see. I mean, I guess in, in the broader sense, it's good to see that this this offense was was able to right the ship a little bit. And again, even when the script was kind of positive, Montgomery really didn't do all that much. Uh, Michael, like according to our fantasy streaming app here uh, for running backs, Chicago's got the third easiest schedule. Like uh, after this week, they've got the Rams, the Giants, you know, Detroit again, uh, and Green Bay and KC in the playoffs. Like, how confident are you just plugging in Montgomery in your lineups or even playing him again in DFS? I'm I'm actually um, very willing to go back to Montgomery. This is his third game in a row with 17 plus touches. Um, he's going to be, you know, relatively cheap again on FanDuel at least. I'd be willing to try to buy low for on him um, in season-long leagues and kind of value him as a probably like a high-ish end RB2. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a buy at this point because of his workload. J.D. McKissick contributed 36 yards on 10 carries along with six catches for 19 yards on seven targets Sunday in the Lions Week 10 loss to Chicago. Shit, no. Uh, the the Lions' backfield is a mess. I want nothing to do with it, especially as a three-way committee between McKissick, Ty Johnson, and Paul Perkins. I just don't want anything to do with this. Damien Williams rushed 19 times for 17 yards, and he added uh, five catches for another 30 yards in Kansas City's week 10 loss to the Titans. No shit. Once when you uh, condense a backfield's touches, the RB1 becomes a much stronger play. Uh, yeah, once when McCoy was a healthy scratch, I actually got a lot more confident in not only Williams, but the entire Chiefs passing offense as a whole, because once McCoy was ruled out, I thought one, it showed the Chiefs were confident in Mahomes' health, and two, um, it would shift the Chiefs' touchdown ratio towards the pass. So I put a lot more Mahomes and Tyreek in my lineups, and Kelsey was obviously already a lock before that. Um, But going back to the running backs, I think Williams is now – back to being like a running back two rather than a risky running back three if McCoy, if his uh, role is a lot more limited moving forward or if he's a healthy scratch again. Darius Slayton caught 10 of 14 targets for 121 yards and two touchdowns week 10 against the Jets. Shit, no. He had the benefit of Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard both not playing. The Giants go on by next week, so I actually think that it's fair for for, uh, Slayton to remain on the waiver wire in normal 12-team leagues. Alvin Kamara rushed four times for 24 yards in the Saints' week 10 loss to the Falcons, and he added eight catches for 50 additional yards. Mm. This is an interesting one because it makes sense that Kamara only saw four carries in a negative game script when the team only had nine total running back carries. Um, And Kamara did see 10 targets, and that's really what you want him to be seeing, so you can't really complain too much about that. Um, it's hard to really read too much into the Latavius and Kamara split since the game was so um, pass-heavy. But I do think that this backfield seems to be closer to a 60-40 split. And that also makes sense because I'd imagine Sean Payton wants to limit Kamara's touches a bit so he's healthy for the playoffs. Saquon Barkley rushed 13 times for one yard and caught five passes for 30 yards in Week 10 against the Jets. Yeah, this one stings a lot because, as I already mentioned, I played a lot of Saquon on FanDuel. Um, and we didn't even get the benefit of, like, the Leonard Fournette game where he goes 15 carries for, like, minus three total yards. But then he has, like, one 70-yard carry for a touchdown. Um, so this this performance also is somewhat concerning since Saquon only saw two first-half targets. Um, Saquon's obviously a high-end running back one rest of season. Um, because he does have one of the highest weekly touch projections. But this performance also does show that rostering a, a 
bad um, a player on a bad offense always carries a low floor, no matter how talented the player is. Derrick Henry handled 23 carries for 188 yards and two scores in Tennessee's Week 10 win over the Chiefs. I'm actually going to go with no shit on this one. I think Blair and Hassan might disagree with me here since you guys probably hate Henry's profile as a <laughs> run-dependent player. Um, but I'm one of the few Rotoviz closet Henry truthers remaining. Um, Henry certainly ran hot for someone projected to be a negative game script. However, he's eighth among running backs in opportunities per game before this game. And um, he had the seventh highest red zone opportunity share. So in terms of DFS, at least, I think Henry's always a great tournament play whenever he's low owned. And he was below 10% this week. And then he's just always a good fade whenever he's highly owned, considering his lack of uh, passing involvement. Yeah, and I guess my, my better guess on this one, really, part, I mean, part of the reason is that... Um, you know, with six teams on by, I think I think I think Henry made like a pretty naturalish pivot, if only because there's six teams on you know, there's just not a lot going on there. But as far as like, you know, Henry here goes, like what was the actual median expectation before we came into like the game? This is the Titans versus the Chiefs. Like, um like this could have like game flow was kind of fortunate that like, you know, that the Chiefs were able to keep it well, the Titans were able to keep it close, considering they were Man, that 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 just the Titans themselves were just a very frustrating offense to to have followed, and I don't know why I keep doing this to myself, uh, just following them. But you know, here we are. Uh, but um, what's really fascinating to me is that Derrick Henry does manage to just, like you said, man, he he smashes in these bizarro scripts. That's that's just that that's what's like really frustrating. And again, like I I, I wasn't on him in GPP. That I, I didn't play any GPP this week, just for the record. Um, but um, like it was really fascinating to see him make hay um, against this team. I mean, and at this point, it's just safe to say that the, the team has seen and Dion Lewis was actually getting work last year, uh, last week, which I thought was interesting. But this week, there was just no Dion Lewis. I think it's pretty much the Derrick Henry show going forward for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, I, I know, uh, Hassan, you and I were both tilting our faces off because we both played AJ Brown in FanDuel Cash. So that, that didn't go well either. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, it's great. You're just going to give A.J. Brown. I mean, he, he caught one of his four targets. And uh, like, I mean, Anthony Fersker saw four targets. Like, what is going on here? Like, like, like John Smith saw six. It was probably, you know, a, a solid play. But like I, but the, the good thing was that you pointed this one out. They just lost the time of possession battle like poorly. And again, like because they were able to keep it close with the Chiefs. It was the only way. I mean, like, it was the only way they could have won, right? Like, and that's kind of how the Titans won. They won in that last second blocked field goal. But really, like, credit to Vrabel and company for figuring out the best way to beat the Chiefs is to just take the air out of the football and inject this high-variance outcome into into the game. Because uh, the Chiefs, we've seen them lose before like that to the Colts earlier this year. And right. You guys, were, uh, we were talking on Slack during this game, and we saw that, the Titans had five, I think it was five first quarter offensive plays or something, something really low like that. Yeah, they, they were just not in it. Yeah, I mean, it helps that this is the kind of game Tennessee wants to play against everyone, probably. So it's natural for them to come out and try to run the ball. And uh, yeah, we've seen this work against Kansas City. So in a way, the game script almost kind of makes sense from that perspective. If you're if you're trying to think of a way to beat Kansas City, you want to do it by keeping the ball out of Mahomes' hand, uh, you know, keep the clock moving. Um, so from that perspective, you can almost see Henry being uh, a natural play. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, he makes a good tournament play because you're banking on these long touchdowns, which he got today and which he has kind of a knack for doing but his floor is always going to be pretty low since he doesn't get that uh passing game work right he's such a good tournament play because whenever he hits he like hits really hard but you're just never going to play him in cash because he has you know 15 mm -hmm. carries for 50 yard downside yeah aaron jones carried the ball 13 times for 93 yards and three touchdowns today I'm, yeah <laughs> that one's not I all think, there <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm gonna say no shit on this one because Aaron Jones was was uh, eighth among running backs in expected points per game. However, 
Um, as I'm sure I'm going to tweet out again later this week, as I always do with my uh, touchdown regression threads. But Jones is going to be due for massive negative touchdown regression. Um, I think he's leading the league in touchdowns now, actually. Um, and he's also in a running back by committee. And Jamal Williams definitely gets carries around the goal line. Um, so I do expect his touchdowns uh, to regress moving forward. Um, and he will probably be a good fade candidate next week in DFS, assuming he's chalk after another three touchdown game. Um, and he and he and Williams actually had an even split 13 to 13 carries and Jones didn't even see targets today. So I wouldn't mind trying to sell Aaron Jones high. Um, but again, running backs are just so valuable that whenever you have a, a running back one, it's hard to really get fair compensation for him. But I would be willing to listen to trade offers since he is in a running back by committee. Yeah, not a bad time to probably look for a trade anyway. I think they're on by next week, and then they face San Francisco after that. So uh, good time to get maybe move on from Jones. Yeah, I, I did like your point, though, because this is a true 50-50 split. It's just, like, I mean, Aaron Jones made a lot happen as well. But, yeah, I mean, you know, 7.2 yards per carry, it's, uh, you know, well, that's performing well above ex- expectations considering Jamal Williams also did fairly well against expectations, but not, you know, not Aaron Jones. Good. It's, I mean, it's clear that Matt, that Matt LaFleur and company just want this to be like a, like a 50, 50, uh, um, timeshare. And again, you know, given that the Packers have, uh, dreams of making it to the, um, you know, playoffs and probably looking to rotate back just as a way to b- b- reduce injury risk going forward. I mean, they're now eight and two. So I, I can see why they, you know, I, I can see that happening. And just like you mentioned, just this like split continuing. Um, I mean, Jamal Williams was one of those stealth uh, zero RB candidates that was just, you should just be taking when he was like dirt cheap and like the 15th ish round. Well, I guess maybe he's his price climbed a little bit, right? But like in the in the really in the later round of drafts, just because he's had a handful of spike weeks, but he's been pretty useful uh, for us in a couple of leagues, uh, right, Blair? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, that's right. In our FF FFPC football guys league, I think we finally found a, a running back too that scores more than one point. So <laughs> definitely been useful. Ah, we also have Breda and we have Ronald Jones. So the stars <laughs> are all here, that's my right. friend. Zero RB is working out at this time of year. Uh, well, and, and speaking of, here's a guy who went a little in, a, in an early ADP, but uh, Joe Mixon rushed 30 times for 144 yards, and he caught two passes for 37 yards in the Bengals' week 10 loss to the Ravens. I'm going to go with the shit now on this one. Mix Mixon is uh, a draft day bust, and at this point, he's just a, a flex play. I don't really want anything to do with this offense other than except maybe like Tyler Boyd. All right, before we get into the last two news items, I want to take a moment to remind you to become a Rotoviz Patreon and gain exclusive access to Rotoviz Radio Slack, where you can ask questions and gain league winning advice from many of the podcast and writing team. Patronships start at just $6 a month. Become a Rotoviz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners. Sign up at patreon.com slash rotovizradio. You can also get a listener's only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content and it supports the pod. Uh, Plus, we are also offering a two-year Rotoviz Radio NFL sub, which includes a 10% discount and complimentary access to Rotoviz Radio Patreon and the Rotoviz Radio Slack channel for the 2019 season. That's right, get 10% off a two-year subscription. Enjoy unlimited access to the Rotoviz Slack channel throughout the rest of the 2019 season, just in time for a playoff push. All you have to do is head to rotoviz.com slash podcast, sign up via the two-year RV radio subscription, and we'll email you Slack access details within 48 hours. Once again, that's rotoviz.com slash podcast. All right, moving on to news item number three. Kareem Hunt caught seven of nine targets for 44 yards in the Browns' Week 10 win over the Bills, adding four carries for 30 additional yards. So Michael Hunt seemed to be a large part of the Browns' game plan in his debut. Uh, His nine targets... We're behind only Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Um, he did seem to be deployed in more of a change of pace role as Nick Chubb carried the ball 20 times and caught two of his four targets for five yards. So how do you see this backfield split working out going forward? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. I was in the camp that uh, Kareem Hunt would be more of um, like that 
Dontrell Hilliard kind of role rather than being a true um, part of the game plan. However, it does appear that Hunt was really deployed as a receiver in this game. Um, I still do think that Chubb is the 1A in this backfield, and he's a running back one moving forward still. Um, But it's certainly encouraging for Hunt. And with Cleveland having such condensed opportunity share, um, Hunt might be uh, become a flex viable moving forward, um, especially with Cleveland drawing Miami, Cincinnati, and Arizona in three of their next five games. Um, it seems that Hunt might be taking the role of like the wide receiver three or tight end in this in this uh, target order. What do you guys think? Well, my, my, if you guys can hear a little bit of the growling, that's my dog back there. She is um, she is not taking. That's actually her agreeing with that take. Um, she's also agreeing with the condensed target share here. I mean, when you're looking at it, Demetrius Harris had the two targets, Rashard Higgins had the one, and Nick Chubb, he had four, but uh, he didn't really do all that much. So, I mean, realistically, and I'm really hoping this is the case going forward, is that we can actually narrow down the the target tree because it makes these guys very exciting for, well, not going down the stretch, especially because you mentioned they face a fairly soft schedule. Uh, but, you know, I mean... Again, this is a team that's a, uh, a potent offense that we're hoping um, to take off. And I think that it should because, more importantly, this is a team that, you know, all offseason embodied their own, hi- own hype. And uh, and they're not doing particularly well faced with these challenges. So I'm hoping they just sort of uncork and let loose on pretty much every other poor team out there that's just not able to, 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 to fight back. It makes them fairly intriguing. I mean, a, a lot of these like, players, it makes... Landry and Odell Beckham fairly intriguing, especially for DFS uh, and, uh, you know, um, as, as locked-in wide receiver plays. And Kareem Hunt, did you either of you guys play him in GPPs today? No. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Oh, that, that's too bad. I mean, like, uh, I mean, he was probably a better player in DraftKings where he was priced at the at the Stone Min, 3K. Mm-hmm. But oh, that would have been such a strong uh, uh, GPP play. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. I mean, it's not like Cleveland was great in this game, but uh, you at least saw Landry have a good game. And, um, I mean, Mayfield wasn't (laughs) terrible the way he's looked uh, in a few games this season. So I wonder if just having that other weapon on the field in, you know, having Hunt on the field to sort of, I don't know, draw coverage from the defense. I wonder if that makes a big difference in the way this offense functions going forward. Um, You know, we at least saw it an improved game from Landry. So I think there's some hope that that might actually be the case. Um, Yeah, I mean, we didn't, like I think you said, we didn't see Hunt really stealing targets from Chubb in this game. But do you think that that is, that this is likely to continue with, um Chubb and Hunt still you know between them seeing 10 plus targets I mean I don't think we can expect Hunt to be seeing you know nine targets in a game but it certainly seems like the Browns are fine having them be um a big involvement in their passing game Robert Woods got uh, seven of 11 targets for 95 yards in the Rams' weekend loss to the Steelers. Uh, Michael, this was uh, Woods' best game since week four, which is quite impressive considering how poor Jared Goff looked uh, during the game. Do you think Woods will continue to see a high target share once Brandon Cooks returns to the lineup? And what are your expectations of the Rams' aerial offense for the rest of the season? Yeah, my, my main takeaway from this performance really is how valuable it is to have condensed target share. Um I'll get back to Woods in a second, but we saw that Sean Siegel's boy, Gerald Everett, once again popped up for another monster target game, which I'm very happy about since he's my highest owned tight end in best ball. Um, But yeah, I think that this continues to show that we should just fade um, Jared Goff and the Rams whenever the Rams are expected to be faced with a lot of pressure. He seems to just collapse whenever um, he faces an aggressive defense. Um, and another thing is it's really, really sad to see someone as talented as Cooper Cup just retire in the middle of a season like this. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you at all worried about him going forward? Um, I mean, he only had four targets. Is this uh, just something sort of more of Goff being really bad against pressure or is it, uh, is it worrying for Cup owners? I mean, it's certainly not a good thing. Um 
I would say that Cup was probably overvalued considering uh, his start to the season, but I wouldn't say I'm panicking yet about him. So I was just looking over here at our, um, you know, strength of schedule app uh, on Rotoviz, and uh, they face Chicago uh, next week, and then Baltimore, and uh, so that's a couple of tricky weeks. Then you get Arizona, then Seattle, Dallas, and then the fantasy playoffs is going to be San Francisco, who you know, as we've determined, are a pretty tough, uh, tough team, provided their 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 defense uh, stays healthy. I, I mean. How often do you think we're going to see, you know, not just road golf, but also pressure golf, you know, like the like the, like the Jared Goff under pressure? And, uh, I mean, and, and although somehow Robert Woods decided to unretire for this game, like, you know, I mean, it does feel like he is more of the odd man out, right? Like, r- relative to, to Cup? Yeah, I guess I would still feel more confident in Cup moving forward ahead of Woods. Um, I mean, I'm looking at, at Cup on the Stack Explorer right now. He's had 15-plus expected points in every game but one before this game. So it still seems like Cup, you know, is a wide receiver one moving forward. Um, But, again, we just have to be aware of whenever Goff is expected to face pressure. Um, But I I would still be confident in Cup moving forward. It just still shows how volatile wide receivers are, no matter, like, how good they are going into a game. The one nice thing about the schedule you – brought up Hassan is that they're all with the exception of San Francisco and I guess Dallas in week 15 they're all positive matchups for the tight end position so I think um, definitely keep keep uh, plugging in Gerald Everett if you got him um, would it, would you be looking to acquire him and if so what would you be willing to pay for him either of you guys uh, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that considering the state of the tight end possession, I would definitely be willing to acquire him. I don't think I would give up much, though, just because I don't, I don't think you need to. I think a, a lot of people, like the public and, and the fantasy football community, probably doesn't think highly of Everett. Um, so I think you can get him on the cheap. I'm with you. I, I'm actually kind of bummed because in a, in a tight end Premier League, uh, our football guys, they, we, we drafted Everett, then we dropped him because we were fairly impatient. And again, like that, that just shows you where everyone sort of values and relative to expectations. It does feel like Everett has taken over that role of the uh, outlet receiver, kind of uh, kind of what, you know, the same way the tight end is the outlet receiver in Houston. Uh, congrats on your breakout season, Darren Feltz. Enjoy your bye week. Um <laughs> But but I mean with with Everett here, like what's really fascinating again, like like you mentioned, like the public just definitely doesn't value him, and I'm sure the guy who owns him way overvalues him. Like it's just like they're, they're going to be wanting like an actual like like Jamison Crowder probably would be what I'd be willing to pay, especially because of how important that the tight end position is, and I guarantee they'd be looking for something as like a more valuable player than than than, than Jamison Crowder. They'd probably be looking for like honestly a Woods, like ish level. Yeah, like I can see that, or like maybe even a DK Metcalf or or something to that extent. Like I'm not too certain on on like what that valuation would be on a, on a tight end, but I'm re- like I will admit freely, tight end is just a position I am just very bad at evaluating. Like I I wound up just fading a handful of like mid tight end busts because I was just like who drafts a tight end this high and then I whiffed on all my later round tight ends in best ball anyway so <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of I'm, tight end I'm sorry go ahead Blair oh no I was just gonna say what I'm kind of thinking is maybe what would work is if you're strong at tight end already but maybe weak at another position like if you have someone like I don't know like Kittle or something you could maybe uh, trade him to the Everett owner and upgrade at a different position. Um, I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of how I'm viewing the possibility of acquiring Everett, like almost as a as a throw into a to a larger trade. Yeah, and, and Kittle's a tricky one to throw out there because he is uh, truly doubtful for tomorrow's game. Well, right, right, right. Kittle's not the best example, maybe, but yeah, Ertz, Ertz. Um... Yeah, I was looking at FanDuel just came out with their prices for next week. And we better hope that Kittle gets healthy because he gets the flowchart Cardinals matchup next week. Hmm. All right. So do the trade I said after next week. But, uh, you know, again, and just just wanted to point out a, 
a quick interesting note from today's Steelers. Uh, this running back is uh, my internet's going a little slowly. I guess Tony Brooks James. Yeah, I've never heard of him in my life. <laughs> he had like five carries, didn't he? Six. Yeah. Like, who is who is this guy? Uh, well, I, 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 I mean, again, so 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 Terrell Henderson had four carries, and he gained four yards on them. What's really weird is that Henderson isn't getting used at all as a receiver. And then Malcolm Brown had five carries, and he and he had ten yards. Gurley looked pretty solid, but like you know. Out of curiosity, like, where do you think this um, this running back core is going? I mean, because I know you mentioned earlier you think Henderson is is dead, but do you think there's any hope for him going like like that like down the pike, or just we'll wash it off and try and buy him cheap next year? Mm. I guess I would. I still have some hope in Henderson, but I mean, you can't at all consider starting him until if unless if Gurley misses time. Um, which, I mean, as we do get into the later weeks of the season, it's more and more likely that Gurley would re-aggravate his knee injury. Um, so I guess there is still some hope, and he's worth uh, keeping on rosters because he would be a guy that I'd be willing to blow my fab for if Gurley were to get hurt. Um, so I, I guess I do still have some hope for him. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Michael Dubner. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Michael underscore Dubner. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His radio channel on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.